Moncrief on News Talk. Anyway, as we always do on a Monday, we'll look back at some of the stories uh, from the weekend today. Our guide is Saoirse Hanley, features writer with the Irish Independent. Saoirse, good afternoon. How are you? Thanks for having me. So, uh, first story I suppose you've chosen is the obvious one. We didn't do that well at the Oscars, uh, really. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, after all the excitement, a bit of a damp squib, really. Only two prizes to bring home. Yeah, mm-hmm. just yeah. a little bit. And I uh, think... And it was seemed to have been made... Uh, the, the, it was rubbing salt in now it was in advance but these kind of jokes that they made some of the Irishy jokes that were made on Saturday Night Live and indeed the Oscars itself yeah it's one of those things that I thought was just going to be a case on Saturday but seemed to last all weekend when it recurred last night um, I suppose was the the Saturday Night Live the SNL skit on Saturday night with for you know anyone hasn't seen it it's just kind of a bit of a, a bit of a cheap shot at Irish people again where you know there's two actors trying to be Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson and they're just incoherently chatting over each other and then the punchline at the end is they haven't started drinking yet and you know it's one of those things that sure standalone we're well used to it it's another knock to you know the usual usual knock on the door of the usual joke of Irish people just drinking all the time um, but it obviously just hit a bit of a nerve with a lot of people I think and the reactions at least online were Probably not what I'd say the writers' room of Saturday Night Live were expecting. Um, it wasn't kind of a communal giggle. It was more so, I think, a bit of a really again. Um, and for it to continue, then I suppose at the ceremony last night with Jimmy Kimmel's joke about um, Irish people, you know, a lot of us being there, and how there were probably going to be more fights following on from last year's, you know, yeah. game last year's slap. But it was one of those things where it just kind of. It's a cheap shot that we're constantly having to battle and I think it's just particularly weird and kind of unfortunate that it's coming the week of St. Patrick's Day when, you know, by the week's end... Yeah, good point. You know, by the week's end we'll have, you know, the world over wishing they were Irish or telling us about their second cousin's dog's neighbour that was Irish and how that connects them to it. And it's kind of weird that in one week you've got, you know, a big parody of, of Irishisms and Irishness and then a week later... Everybody wants it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. And it's also kind of because Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson have both been on Saturday Night Live mm. in the recent past. So the same writers would have worked with these people but and, you know, met them and know what they're like and then go, oh, I know, let's pretend that they're completely incoherent drunks. Yeah. Uh, particularly, like in Colin Farrell's case, given that, you know, he, he's talked a lot about giving up the drink mm. and, and all that kind of thing. And I think that's been like a huge part, like particularly of Colin Farrell's story the last while that, you know, there's a big talk about this year's Oscars being like such a kind of comeback year for so many actors that maybe weren't acting for a while or weren't acting big roles for a while. And then a lot of them were nominated this year. And like with Colin Farrell, there was lots of talk about, you know, him getting stepping into this big role in Banshee's Vinish Aaron and having this great kind of, not even redemption, but like a big talk about his, his, his move away from drink and, and all of that. And I think... That having been so much part of the Oscars conversation this year and the award season conversation, to then just fall back to being a punchline was just a bit of a cheap shot. I it think, was kind of really. yeah, it was kind of lazy. Yeah, uh, uh, really. And and like the fighting Irish thing, mm. uh, as I understand it, just comes from Notre Dame University. It's their slogan, the Fighting Irish. But it's a college. It's actually nothing to it do. Wasn't with, even us. Yeah, yeah it's nothing <laughs> to do with the actual Irish. But it's been kind of taken on as a trope to be somehow a. A basis for truth. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's even like, I think it might have been around this time last year, certainly within the last year, that the Epic Museum in Dublin had a big campaign about how I think the slogan was like, this is not us. And it was an image of, you know, a fighting Irish person with a pint in one hand and their fist raised in the other. And there's kind of like, I feel like we've been doing a lot of this work as Irish people to make it really known that we, that's not us. And it's not the way that we operate. And it's not really a marker of Irishness at all. And what should have been the main focus point for the conversation all weekend should have been the Irish talent that 
was on the stage and that was up for, for nominations and that's come out in the last year. And even the fact that, we, you know, we had an, an Irish win and that's obviously, thankfully, part of the conversation. But at least from the perspective of like SNL or Jimmy Kimmel's, you know, writing last night, there was there was other shots that could have been taken that maybe didn't have such a ring of, of sameness to them that we're just used to and sick of. <laughs> if he'd made a joke along the lines of all black people are good at dancing or sport, <laughs> they were like, you know, there yeah. would be war today. These sweeping generalizations you know, yeah. just don't work, like, not yeah. really anymore. Uh, as I warned you, people are texting you already to tell you how wrong you are, Sir <laughs> Shep. Ara, sure, would you, would you, a dowel film, Banshees of Inishir, and as a parody itself, represents the Irish worse than SNL did, uh, says Anthony in Galway. Sometimes I think, though, there's an aspect of, like, owning something. That like it's you know it's one of those things where it's all well and good to make a self-deprecating joke, but if someone else does it about you, it's a bit it's a bit stingier. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, somebody else says it's not really a cheap shot considering it's St Patrick's week. It's actually quite apt. Americans use St Patrick's Day as an excuse to get absolutely paralytic. And to be fair, the whole drinking thing is something we lean into. Well, I suppose that's both those things are true. Mm. The um, I'm I, once years ago arrived in New York when the Patrick's Day Parade was just over mm. uh, and you'd have thought a war uh, had taken place <laughs> there. It was absolutely unbelievable and it wasn't just Irish people for sure. Uh, they, uh, they only nominated so many Irish that they could laugh at us. It was just a big setup. It's not like Banshees was any good. And again, we're getting that. Somebody else says, hard luck to Banshees of Inishirin for not winning anything. Maybe when they make the inevitable sequel and if it has an actual <laughs> story, it will stand a better chance of winning Best Oscar. There was an Irishness, though, to standing <laughs> around on the beach, I think, and being mad at each other. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, it's a very typical Irish story. That's, oh, that's interesting, though. That kind of feeds into your second choice of story today, which was this interview that The Edge gave uh, at the yes. weekend, which touched on, among many other things, kind of general attitude towards you two and, uh, uh, and, and Bono in particular, because they have this... David Letterman thing, who now looks like Ronnie Drew, which is so appropriate, <laughs> wandering, staggering around Dublin with uh, Bono and the Edge. Um, but that uh, he has thoughts. You have thoughts on on this attitude? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the, I think the Edge's thoughts were basically that you know Bono's a friend of his, obviously, and uh, is often kind of used as a bit of a you know begrudging punching bag. In that Ireland, as much as we are kind of proud of of U 2s legacy, I suppose we're not often very proud of Bono, and there's kind of this this sense that, you know, he's a bit above a station or it's a bit notionsy or we're a bit whatever, kind of not able to celebrate his success. And I think that's something the Edge was touching on. And, you know, there's kind of all this talk of like Bono begrudgery and just the Irish people being unable to, to you know, appreciate that someone's doing well for themselves or, or whatever. And I think that, you know, in light of all of the Oscars talk and in light of all the talent that we had going there, so many Irish people have just been thrilled about that fact that we had mm, so many mm, nominees mm. and are really happy about it. And I suppose it kind of brings up a weird a weird question of like, where's the line? Like, at what point do we, at what point can we be thrilled about someone's success? And when does it turn into us kind of then being like, oh, well, should you above a station now? Or, you know, who does he think he is kind of a thing? That's a, that's a funny thing, though. I mean, mm. th- I, like, nobody, I, 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 okay, there were people who didn't like the Banshees of Inishirin, <laughs> but, but, Nobody, I think, I was unaware of anybody particularly begrudging um, the nominations that any of the actors uh, or, or directors or writers received in advance of the Oscars. But there just seems to be a Bono thing. Mm. It's, it's Bono, Bono particularly thing. rather than it's just an Irish thing. Yeah. And I think that maybe the Edge was kind of trying to draw a wider net to that, <clears throat> excuse me, and say that it was kind of an Irish t- tendency. But I think that 
what we just spoke about just disproves that that very much. But I suppose at the same time, like Bono's and U2's rise is so like meteoric that there's kind of, it's maybe a little bit harder for us to comprehend that success in order to celebrate it. Whereas with things like Barry Keown and Colin Farrell and stuff, there's such a big like emphasis on this rags to riches story or of someone doing really well for themselves despite the odds or all of these things. And I don't know if maybe that's what's absent in like the Bono story that we're too focused on like how fantastically, you know, successful you two and, and Bono and, and the rest of the band have been that it's a little bit easier for us to celebrate the likes of Barry Keown because we can kind of recognise him more. Whereas like Bono, I think to me is such like a figure now of like yeah, oh, yeah. kind of because beyond us a bit. Yeah, you know, like he, obviously he, has had a head start. But, but that <laughs> was always there. I mean, even from, you know, well, from day one. But, mm. but, but, but there was always this kind of niggle towards Bono yeah. for some reason. And I think that it's it's really endured. Like it's not like that's one area that there hasn't been a redemption arc. I don't think people don't seem to have that kind of willingness to to take a step back and, and appreciate that success as much because the first turn of conversation is usually to go to well you know well he's done really well or you know all these big you know the big house that he has or this hotel and temple bar and all this kind of stuff and focus on all of that more so than God it's actually really impressive that somebody's gotten is, that big yeah is it because I wonder is it because of the activism. That that mm. uh, um, saying, like my, a little bit of stay in your lane, but I mean he's never managed the feet of shutting his mouth. So so, so you know, and, <laughs> exactly. I, and I think even he would admit that. But but, uh, but it is yeah, it's probably the activism and and uh, <clears throat> and that sense that it's just kind of tokenisticy. Yeah, because you'd hope that notiony, like, or he's just saying things and he doesn't really mean it. Yeah, because you would like to think that activism like that would endear somebody more to us, you know. But it it as you said, it has the opposite effect mm. that we don't really focus on that at all as much in the sense that it feels like a drop in the ocean. Whereas I feel like if, you know, tomorrow Colin Farrell was to announce some cool new charity initiative he was setting up, we'd all be like, well, isn't that brilliant? <laughs> well done, Colin. Yeah, well, no, because interesting enough in, in, in his book, uh, there's a lot about the activism and, and, and it's not just like doing gigs for charity or, you know, mm. turning up for a photo op. Like he did actual work you know, over years with, worked for years with Condoleezza Rice uh, on, mm. on uh, kind of AIDS initiatives uh, and was kind of like, you know, any other activist. He just happened to be a, kind of a rock star as well. <laughs> uh, uh, rather than he was just, you know, a, a rock star who would turn up just to kind of put a yeah. sheen over something. He was actually a part of that team. And it was interesting, he had to kind of make, you know, he had to make compromises. He had to stand in a photo op with George W. Bush, which wouldn't have been mm. everybody's favourite cup of tea at the time. But, you know, <laughs> it was to try and uh, further a particular cause, even if it did, like, stick in his throat and stick in mm. the throats of lots of people around him, which I found uh, very interesting, actually. But at the same time, you know. But it's funny, the it's, kind of one thing that, like, we do allow him and we do celebrate every year is the Christmas Eve busk. <laughs> it's the one area yes, that we're like, well, yeah. that's great. We can, we can celebrate that. But, like, those kind of bigger swathes of, of activism and change don't really seem to make as much waves for us. Uh, so Paddy the Leprechaun says, uh, please stop with the Oscars crap, suggesting we're all crying because Saturday Night Live made fun of us. Get a grip! <laughs> he puts that in capital letters, so it's more forceful. I will get a grip now. It's only a few uh, <laughs> little sensitive whingers always make the news. I don't give a damn and nobody... I have spoken to about this. No, nobody's also in capital letters. Uh, I've spoken about it. It gives a damn. They all, uh, again, that's in capital letters. God, you're a great man for the capital letters, Paddy. They all find it just dumb uh, more than funny. If it was actually funny and a good sketch, they would laugh. 
again, that's in capital letters, uh, says Noel, who's a proud potato-munching Paddy Leprechaun. Uh, Willie the Welder says, uh, we used to be able to laugh at ourselves. People get offended so easily because they're so insecure. Remember Paddy Irishman, Paddy Englishman, Paddy Scotsman walked into a bar? Uh, which, yes, they did. Who knows what happened when they went in there. Saturday Night Live takes a hand at everyone. To take such offence at this skit is ridiculous. They've done way worse skits about others on the show. Half the crew are Irish-American. If you want to be mad at something, be mad at the stereotypes uh, in the Banshees. Now, there's a whole discussion around those stereotypes in the Banshees and is it, you know, going to postmodern, etc. Michael Inoffley says, yes, the sketch was crap, crude and not funny, but we put drinking on a pedestal in this country. We criticise and question people on nights out who aren't drinking. We celebrate everything with alcohol. It's a fair topic for satire, but poorly executed, uh, mm. uh, says Michael. Oh, yeah, it just wasn't a very good sketch. It just wasn't done very well. Is, 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 is that one thing. Something that did actually turn into a sketch almost was, was the BBC apparently, um, uh, the BBC reported that the uh, effects of the pandemic on mental health were minimal, mm. which was a, a, an astounding claim to make, I would have thought. Yeah, I think that might have been a poorly worded headline <laughs> because the, I think the, it was, a, you know, it came out on Twitter and they, they, the BBC tweeted about it. And like for context, I think it only had a couple thousand likes, but like 50,000 quote retweets of people just replying to how bonkers that suggestion is. You know, that I think it, it's particularly, you know, important coming up on about three years since our first lockdown when all of our kind of weird lockdown habits would have been birthed and, a lot of the replies to this tweet by the BBC and by everyone that was kind of reading it were just harking back and looking back on that absolute strangeness that existed and whether or not that points to a people feeling particularly sane or not. Um, because obviously, aside from like, there was obviously, you know, very real, very awful mental health, you know, impacts from the mm. pandemic and all those things aside, I think even just on a base level, that is a bit of a stretch to say that the effects were minimal. Like there was people, I think one of the first I saw was that um, journalist Eva Grace Moore had said that she got really into running and she was running her 5k, whatever it was every day. And one day she got distracted and went a bit past it and saw a guard's car, a guard car. And all she could think the whole way back was I'm being chased, they're going to catch me, they're going to arrest me. Mm. And it's one of those things that like, you know, I had this really nice walkway um, at home when I was in lockdown and there was a two kilometre stretch and a five kilometre stretch and in the two kilometre stretch I remember mapping it out and you couldn't even get to the end of your walk to the nice part of the walk during that and being like well I have to turn back now <laughs> I can't go anywhere but just some of the, the, the things we've come out with were just brilliant yeah, that somebody said that they gave their dishwasher a birthday and they celebrated it with cake in front of it with their kids someone put together a mini art museum for their hamster you know someone else said they paid £50 in the UK to have Wagner from the X Factor do a music round of their Zoom quiz and it's all these things that like almost made perfect sense at the time and were the only way that we had to like deal with every day and come up with things to be doing and yeah celebrate your dishwasher's birthday but I think that all those things were practically ridiculous but they do also point to like I don't think we can even say yet what the the impacts of, of the pandemic would no, have been. No, absolutely. You know? we're, we're still finding out what they yeah, are. Yeah, really. and I think like all of those things seem really trivial. But I think when we, you know, when you look at things like um, you know, in different moments of history, and there's these artifacts that show us what the people at the time were doing, and we don't get it because we weren't there. And this is one of those things that I think we can't look at and draw you know conclusions with because it only just happened and we just lived it and we just did do all those things. Um, but yeah, it was it was in a, a, a peer-reviewed medical journal and they just had a collection of different studies. But I think, you know, it may be 
it, it's a bit soon. It's to a come bit to that soon, and I don't think it looks at the full picture because we don't really know what everything looks like just yet. Yeah. Uh, I reckon Bono should stick to music, not politics, as one texter, as somebody else says. I think he's great. Uh, he's a great songwriter, singer, and rock star. He's a bit preachy. A bit like Gary, <laughs> like Gary Lineker. <laughs> so he's expressed an opinion. Uh, Bono needs to practice what he preaches, uh, like give away all his wealth. Then people might dislike him slightly less. Well, I don't know if he's kind of actually advocating for people to give away all their, uh, all his wealth. And even if he did... Like, for instance, in the Drop the Debt campaign that it was heavily uh, involved in, I think even Bono's wealth uh, wouldn't necessarily uh, make up for that. Uh, You may not relate to Bono or another individual for that matter, but a simple thought is, what have I done in comparison for my country, county, city, town, village? Bono is a legend and fair play to him, and I'm not even a big fan, uh, but respect his efforts. Uh, Somebody else says you have to separate Bono the man from Bono, a member of U2. Bono has always pushed political and religious agendas. U2 support so many charities and are activists in so many fields. Bono carries such a weight of influence because of his fame. He does have a pulpit to preach from. But he and U2 do much more that that goes under the radar because Bono sticks his head above the parapet. He knowingly leaves himself open to criticism. But I think uh, 700 million in the bank is a fairly good cushioning factor. It's true. You can build a wall uh, and I'm uh, just made of cash. I don't know if uh, um, I don't know if if you two are on TikTok or if they even need to be on TikTok. Mm. Just to explain to the old man looking at you now why, why TikTok is important to the music industry. Now. So TikTok has actually become a huge part of uh, the music industry in the last while. Um, Basically, I suppose TikTok is somewhere that a lot of artists anyway, and, you know, at the, at the beginning, it was very much kind of just the every man, every, everybody was using it for different, you know, funny videos or whatever it was. And I think it used to be Musical.ly, which was a more a music platform. So people could use it for, you know, having clips of, of music on it. But recently, in, in recent years, it's become a huge tool for artists and labels to kind of start like teasing new music or getting snippets you know, and turning those into earworms for people because, you know, the TikTok format, they've gone a bit longer now, but videos for a while were only 30 seconds to a minute. So it was a really handy way of getting a snippet of a song out there. Um, and there was a piece over the weekend um, in the uh, review of The Independent and it was about, like, how music, the music industry is kind of relying on TikTok a lot lately and with all the talks of banning it, mm. will they be able to manage without it? Um, and I recently was, was at, a, at a talk between... Um, the Association of Inter- Association of Independent Artists um, in Ireland and TikTok together. And it was kind of just to talk about how, you know, like how artists and labels can utilise TikTok to their benefit. And it kind of brought up a lot of interesting ways that they're doing that in the sense that like, you know, when new music comes out, normally we're used to listening to it on the radio or, you know, yeah. getting it on Spotify or whatever it is. And then maybe watching the music video when it comes out. But increasingly, we're not really doing that anymore. And TikTok kind of, mesh the two of these things together where you can get a lot closer to the artist because they're going to tell you about this song and they're going to tell you, you know, I have this new song coming out, this is what it's about and then play you a snippet and you kind of feel like you're connecting with them personally about it. But it's a bit of a double-edged sword because they have this music that's being teased but it's being teased for so long that by the time it actually comes out nobody really cares anymore. (laughs) Or it's not really what you... Because if you get 30 seconds of a song it could be from the chorus it could be from the bridge and you have decided you love the song and it's going to be amazing and then you hear the full thing and it's actually kind of lacklustre until you get to that bit of the chorus or that bit of the bridge. And I think it happened hugely last year with um, Sam Smith's song with Kim Petras that that snippet of Unholy was just 
ridiculous amounts of exposed that everybody knew it and you know I heard it I thought it was great and then the song came out and I think the general consensus was like oh yeah well that's actually not yeah. that good <laughs> yeah but I mean but okay so, so, say the Sam Smiths of the world mm. who are already established will yeah. use it is, is TikTok though being you know actively being used to break new acts you know in a way it is and I think the 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 issue that it might come up against is that there's just a lot of musicians and they're all kind of moving to this platform because they know the benefits that it can have. And that does mean that there's a lot more competition to get that engagement because obviously it's so fickle that, you know, sometimes you might post one video and it'll get however many hundred likes and your next one will just go down like a lead balloon because no one sees it because the mm. algorithm doesn't pick it up or whatever that is. And at the talk that I was at, you know, they did discuss a lot of that, that the kind of things like using the right tags or you know, posting at certain times, does that make a difference? All that kind of stuff. But it is really good at getting like, you know, smaller artists out there. Like I know there's a lot of, a lot of artists that maybe like that had a snippet that really resonated with some people and kind of blew up on its own. And then the song comes out and the other thing that they kind of come up against then is that that's the one song that they go big for and it doesn't really go very far beyond that. Yeah, That they have yeah. one big song that's a huge hit that everyone loves but then, you know, if you're not Sam Smith or Kim Petrus, it might not stick around for your next song. But would it be the case, though, then that, I mean, and there are obviously in, in the US particularly worries about TikTok and it's just one big organ of the Chinese state, mm. that it, would the music industry be really freaking out if there was a ban instituted? I, th- I think it would be a case of just like maybe freaking out to find an alternative. You know, like there's kind of, I suppose it wouldn't be quote the end you know the end of the world considering the fact that we have things like you know Instagram reels that they're kind of really relying on a lot that have much the same format that they Mm. could transition over to and I think if TikTok wasn't there like we would use reels more I don't really use reels but if I didn't have TikTok suddenly I probably would and I think it's probably a case of that but it's you know like without it they just have to find new ways of doing it but I do think it would be to a detriment of maybe smaller artists who don't already have a name behind them and don't have ways of kind of getting the traction unless yeah. it's by like surprise or like viralness or like playing a record on the radio <laughs> there's that <laughs> so I'm going to sit in the corner with me cardigan and have a nap I need one now someone says bring back lockdown if only to reduce carbon emissions and that means a ban on Amazon deliveries also oh my god <laughs> Uh, if you had no Amazon deliveries, that, that would be really a nightmare scenario. Saoirse, thanks so for coming into us today. Saoirse Handy there, Features Writer with the Irish Independent. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.